بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد نسلی اللہ رسول الکریم اما بھارت الحمد للہ جنائٹ از دا ٹوینٹی نائنتھ آف جنوری ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ So we pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He blesses us in our months of Rajab and Sha'aban and conveys safely to the holy month of Ramadan. Amen. And we moved on to the 41st night that we're going through the exalted and dear life of the eminent companion Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu. And I spent a few sessions in which we've been taking a glimpse to his extraordinary taqwa or his fear of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So despite his high status in the glorious deen, Sayyidina Anas radiyallahu was still an immensely most humble soul as if he was oblivious to his own rank and status. Consider the following most touching report. So Sayyidina Anas, he himself relates radiyallahu I had once asked the Prophet if he would intercede on my behalf on the Day of Judgment. The Prophet said, Anafail, I will indeed. I thereupon asked, Ya Rasulullah, Fa'ina atlubuka. Ya Rasulullah, where should I look for you? I on that awesome day. He replied, When you need me, first of all look for me at the bridge of Sirat. I thereupon further inquired, And if I do not find you at the Sirat, He replied, Then look for me at the scales. I thereupon inquired, And if I do not find you at the scales, he replied, Then look for me at the, at the basin, for indeed I will not go away from these three critical places at that time. Subhanallah. <laughs> So let's look at this. So this is recorded in Tirmidhi, number 2433, who said it's Gharib, Ibn Majah Ahmed in his Musnad, number 12414, or 3-178, Hafiz Dinuri, Rahmatullah, in his Al-Mujalasah, 1-323, Al-Bidaya, Imam Qurtubi, in his Tadqira, number 228, Hassan, Mishkat, volume 4, number 54, in the chapter on intercession and the Houth, Ma'arif al-Ahadith, volume 1, page 256, of the New English Translation. So what was the question Anas asked He said will you intercede for me Ya Rasulullah on the day of judgment So look at how humble he was He wasn't relying upon his deeds And the companions Never relied upon their deeds So he goes will you intercede And what did the Prophet famously say My intercession is for the major sinners So the Prophet didn't just say Naam He goes Anafail I will indeed In other words, you've got nothing to worry about. 
But look at his understanding. He goes, where should I look for you? Because the day of judgment, obviously you're on the earth, but where should I search for you? And the Prophet said, When you need me, first of all, look for me at the bridge of Sirat. So the bridge of Sirat is what everybody will famously with Iman cross over. He goes, look for me there. I then asked, فَإِلَّمْ أَلْقَقَ عَلَى الصِّرَاتِ And if I do not find you at the Sirat, he replied, فَتْلُبْنِ عِنْدَ الْمِيزَانِ Look for me at the scales. So the scales, again, this report, it mentions that the entire universe can be placed in the scales. So it's not something that we can really picture. We just think we understand what the scales are. And despite its vastness, it can register atoms. Whoever does a, an atom's weight of good shall see it. So, and Jibreel will be resting against the, uh, the scales. He goes, look for me there, if I'm not at the Sirat. I then asked, If I don't find you at the scales. He goes, look for me at the Houd. And the Houd is where the blessed Qawthar is flowing into. The, the water is whiter than milk, sweeter than honey. The Prophet said, whoever drinks from it will never feel thirsty thereafter. And he goes, I will not go away from these three critical places at that time. So now why is this a very interesting report? Because Allahu Akbar, where then is our dread and fear of that most awesome day? For let alone earnestly supplicating to make it easy, we hardly even bother reflecting upon it. So you can see that Anas was seriously reflecting upon the Day of Judgment. He wasn't just briefly thinking about it. The fact that he asked these questions, look how strange the questions are to us. Some of these questions don't even go through our minds. So where would I look for you? Has anybody asked that question? Because we know we'll need the Prophet, but where do we look for him? So the Prophet said, look for me at the Sirat. In Sayyid Muslim, the Prophet said, I will be on the bridge and I will be saying, safety, safety. He goes, save my ummah. He goes, look for me on the Sirat. If you're not there, he goes, the scales. If you're not there, he goes, at the Hout. Because I will be definitely at those three places. Consider also what our beloved messenger said of the Day of Judgment. There will be some amongst them who shall inevitably cry out, O oh my Lord, subhanahu wa ta'ala, grant me release from this suffering and this anticipation, even if it should be in hell. Astaghfirullah. This is in Tabarani in his Kabir, Abu Ya'la in his Musnad Al-Haytami in Majma Az-Zawai 10-336. Nothing about that. If somebody goes, how severe would that day be? Some will actually say, put us in hell. Because we will get release from what we're going through. So why on earth would anybody supplicate to be put in hell? Meaning the day of judgment is beyond comprehension. And from what we've got, the few facts and figures, it's frightening. Famously, the Prophet mentions that you will sweat according to the level of your sins. And some will be drowning in their sweat. Now think about that. You can't die. And yet you're drowning in sweat. How horrific is that? And this is before you even go to account. That's the waiting room. <laughs> and then, 
the hadith mentions the sweat goes 70 cubits into the earth then it rises why is all that sweat coming out of your body because that's your sins you are now suffering because of your sins and eventually throw us in hell because it releases from this as our loving lord himself says subhanahu wa ta'ala in surah sad surah 38 verse 26 لَهُمْ عَذَابٌ شَدِيدٌ مِمَا نَسُوا يَوْمَ الْحِسَابِ For them is a severe punishment because they forgot the day of reckoning. So Allah Ta'ala mentions in the Quran one of the reasons that you will be severely tormented on that day is if you forget مِمَا نَسُوا يَوْمَ الْحِسَابِ How many of us forgot? We just have brief thoughts about it every now and again. May the day of judgment easy for me. Famous dua. Is that it? What about asking for certain things on the day of judgment? If you forget, you will receive a severe punishment. It says in the Quran. Our beloved mother Sayyida Aisha, she said, Rasulullah would sometimes say in his supplications, Allahumma hasibni hisaban yaseera. O oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, reckon me with a light reckoning. I asked, what is a light reckoning, Ya Rasulullah? Sallallahu alayhi wa He sallallahu alayhi wa said, He subhanahu wa ta'ala looks in the book of his servant, he then overlooks. Subhanallah. This is in Ahmad in his Musnad number 24,215, Ibn Hiban number 7,372, Sahih, Ibn Khuzayma number 849, Sahih, Hakim in his Mustadrak number 936, Sahih, Zahabi, Sahih. So look how interesting, our mother, she noticed, radiyallahu that the Prophet would make this dua, Allahumma hasibni hisabun yazira, reckon me with a light reckoning. So that could mean a million things. If you ask a person, what does that mean? Give me an easy reckoning. You could say, well, it means that Allah Ta'ala, He reckons you, but He overlooks, or He might forgive some of your uh, your failings. The Prophet explained, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, He looks at your account, He overlooks. So the way to look at it is, if this was your account, this article, He looks at it, and He doesn't go into it. That is what the Prophet was supplicating for. An essential du'a to incorporate into our short lives. <laughs> Why? Because if Allah Ta'ala looks into your account, the Prophet famously said, you are doomed. <laughs> we don't want him to look into our account. So look how strange that is. We do all these deeds. So where are our deeds? In the book. Do we want Allah Ta'ala to look into our book? No, we don't. So why are you doing your deeds for them? The response is, we're doing it because we're ordered to do it. But we do not want him to look at our book. And he goes, why not? Because if he looks into your book, you're doomed. And there's a very famous report in Ibn Asakir, Behaki, in Shu'ab al-Iman, where a man, he worshipped his Lord for 500 years. And the only time he stopped worshipping was when he ate a pomegranate and he drank from a, a stream of water that Allah Ta'ala graciously made flow near the pomegranate tree. When he was about to die, he was given the choice. He goes, how would you like to die? He goes, I'd like to die in sujood, prostration. So this is an ancient person. Why? Because the angel of death would come. So he dies in sujood. The Prophet said, then told by Jibreel, on the day of judgment, Allah calls him. He goes, would you like to go to paradise by my mercy? Or would you like me to look into your accounts? Now think about that. This shows he wasn't a scholar. He was a worshipper. He actually thinks, I'm going to lose out if he doesn't look in my accounts. Mm. 
So he goes, look at my accounts. 500 years. So Allah gives him a second opportunity. He goes, paradise by my mercy or your accounts. He goes, accounts. So Allah then says to the angels, before I look into his accounts, I need to take what I've given. So he goes, take from his deeds the blessing of eyesight. So how many years ibadat has he done? <laughs> 500. The angels just take everything. Imagine all of that worship. And when he is, when everything is taken, he realizes then, oh dear, it was mercy. So Allah then says to him, who gave you the strength to worship me for 500 years? Who caused the pomegranate tree to grow and the water to flow? So you don't, need, you don't, you did not need to worry about your rizq. Who gave you this and who gave you that? Because nobody goes to paradise except by my mercy. One report says Allah forgave him. So what does that tell you? Have you got 500 years worship? If Allah goes mercy, paradise or accounts, paradise. Mercy. We don't want to look and don't let shaitan trick you into thinking anything else. And here the Prophet, who are we compared to the Prophet? Allahumma hasibni hisaban yasira. Reckon me with a light reckoning. What is a light reckoning? He looks and he overlooks. So again, this dua is essential. And note Anas. Anas radiyallahu despite his immensity and his rank, he's asking the Prophet to intercede him. So moving on to another, another subsection. Sayyidina Anas his love for his students. Sayyidina Anas was very keen to teach his many students whom he loved very much, bringing them close to him and honoring them. He used to say, how closely you resemble the companions of Muhammad by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you are dearer to me than my own children, unless my children become as good as you, and I supplicate for you at the end of the night. Subhanallah. This is recorded by Hafiz Zahabi in his seer 3-395. So how did he welcome his students? He said, you resemble the companions of Muhammad, meaning this is something that they would do, they'd love to learn. They were always eager to learn because you resemble them. Then he said, you are dearer to me than my own children. Except if they are as good as you. And he goes, I make special though ask you at the end of the night. Indeed, Anas would encourage one and all. Take from me. For I took from Rasulullah who took from Allah the Almighty, the All-Powerful. Thus you will not find anyone more reliable than I. This is in Al-Bidayah, volume 9, page 95. Now think about that. Normally you, you got an ijazat certificate. What does that mean? He goes, you got an unbroken chain going back to the authorities. Ijazat is needed to pre- preserve the deen. The whole deen is preserved through chains of transmission. What was Anas's chain? <laughs> Did he have a certificate? No. This is what he said. Take from me. I took from the Holy Prophet. He took it from Allah, the Almighty. There's nobody more reliable than I. In terms of the number of his students, Hafiz Zahabi in his seer, 3-397, he said, the author of At-Tahdeeb, he listed nearly 200 people who related from Anas. So in, this is in terms of his, his, uh, uh, his intimate students. 
So those who were his like, dedicated students, they were around 200, mm. 200 or so. Mm. So obviously, I'm not going to go through all of them, but to give you a brief on a few of the famous ones. So these are some of the famous students of Anas. The first is Thabit al-Bunani. So first of all, when did this uh, venerable man leave the world? He passed away 127 AH. He was a famous student of Anas. He kept his company for 40 years. Refer to Abu Nu'aym al-Hilya, volume 2, page 318, Tahdib al-Tahdib, volume 2, page 2. Now think about that. When you think of a student, you think his intention is to learn, so he himself becomes a teacher. He kept his company for 40 years. What does that tell you? He didn't want to become a teacher. He just considered it an honor to be in his company. So he stayed with him 40 years till his death. Then ultimately he himself became a teacher. So what did he say? In Tirmidhi number 3857 and 8 is Gharib. Thabit said, Anas once said to me, Radiyallahu, O Thabit, learn from me, for you will never derive from anyone more authentic than me. I derived it from Rasulullah. He derived it from Jibreel. Who derived it from Allah the Almighty and Glorious? So, not generally he said this to the students, but to near ones he would specifically mention that. Because you're learning from somebody who is most reliable. In other words, there's a very, very short chain between me and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <laughs> if you think of the golden chain, you know, the scholars talk about golden chains. For example, You've got Imam Malik, Rahmatullah, who hears from Nafi, Rahmatullah, who hears from Abdullah ibn Umar, who hears from the Prophet. That's the golden chain. According to Imam Malik and Imam Bukhari, the other chains, which are golden. Is that chain comparable to this? Anas, Rasulullah, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or Jibreel as well, and he goes, learn from me. Anas said in praise of Thabit, everything has a key. And Thabit is one of the keys of good. This is in Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabakat, volume 1, page 145 of the English translation in the chapter on the companions of the Prophet Muhammad who settled in Basra and the Tabi'un. So think about that. Everything has a key. Now that means for everything, there's a key to good, there's a key to evil. In a famous hadith, the Prophet said, Glad tidings to the one who Allah has made a key to good. And how unfortunate is the one who's got a key to bad. Then Anas said, Thabit is one of the keys of good. Meaning, if you stay with him, because you will get nothing but goodness. Humayd said, We used to go to Anas with Thabit. Whenever Thabit passed by a masjid, he would enter it and he would pray in it. He would then go to Anas and he would ask, where is Thabit? Thabit is a pure receptacle that I love. This is in Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabakat, volume 1, page 145 of the English translation in the chapter on the companions of the Prophet Muhammad who settled in Basra and the Tabi'u. So here a few things are mentioned. One of his strange habits, I say strange because very few people do this, he refused to pass a masjid without offering Tahiyat al-Masjid. So imagine, 
you know, in the Muslim lands. You know, Masjid Zabdi corner. So it would be difficult for him to do things. So, for example, if he had to get his groceries, I don't know, four or five masjids, that's ten rakats. And don't forget, they're not praying like this. You know, he's probably there, he's lost in his salat. So Anas, look at his lufi. When he would disappear, he would say, where is he? Because he is a pure receptacle that I love. Now, what did he describe him as? He was a pure container. So he realized that Allah Ta'ala has given him a very pure man to fill up with. And the tragedy is, because who thabit, don't know, who's messy. MashaAllah. Jamila, the maid servant of Anas, and the mother of some of his children, she relates, whenever Thabit came to Anas, Anas would instruct me to bring him some perfume to apply to his hands. And he would say, the son of the mother of Thabit will not be satisfied until he kisses my hands. This is in Abu Ya'la, Behaki in Shu'ab al-Iman, Abu Nu'im al-Hilya al-Hetami in Majma al-Zawaid, volume 1, page 130. He comments upon the chain of narrators, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 4, page 737 of the New English Translation. So what was Anas doing? So first of all, who's Jamila? Jamila was what the right-hand servant of Anas. So she was like what his right hand possessed. She was blessed with children from Anas. She's relating this. And she goes, I noticed that whenever Thabit came, Anas would prepare himself. And he goes, he would apply perfume to his hands. And he goes, the son of the mother of Thabit. Now, why did he say that? Why didn't you say Thabit? The son of the mother of That's the same thing. Ibn Ummi, Abd, like Abdullah Ibn Mas'ud, this is to honor him and his mother. He goes, he will not be satisfied until he kisses my hands. So I have to perfume my hands. He goes, he's like this. Thabit would then kiss the eyes of Anas and he would say, these are the eyes that saw Rasulullah. <laughs> This is in Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, number 11,651, Dalimi number 50, Abu Ya'la 6-211, Al-Haytami in Majma Az-Zawaid 9-325 states Sahih. So not only would he kiss Anas's hands, he would kiss Anas's eyes. Because these are the eyes that saw the Prophet meaning I just missed. But this is the closest I can be to the Prophet Confirming further, Thabit Rahmatullah said, when I used to go to Anas, upon seeing me, he would indicate a place for me. Thus I would approach, take his hands and kiss them, saying, May my father be your ransom. These are the hands that touch Rasulullah. I would then kiss his eyes and say, May my father be your ransom. These are the eyes that saw Rasulullah. This is in Abu Ya'la in his Musnad, Al-Haytami in Majma Az-Zawaid states, Hassan. So Anas would make a special reserve a space for him. Because Anas sits here and he would kiss his hands and he would pay respects and kiss his eyes and pay his respects. Thabit al-Bunani said, In the morning Anas used to oil his hand with scented oil in preparation for shaking the hands of his brothers. Shaykh al-Bani states Sahih in his checking of Bukhari's Allah Dabal Muflad number 1012. So he wouldn't just do it for Thabit. It was a special atal for Thabit. But he would use scented oil and he would shake hands, eyes, so that the scent would go onto the brother's hands. Mm. On the same theme, Azra ibn Thabit said, I went to Thumama ibn Abdullah. He gave me some perfume and he said, 
that Anas would never refuse a gift of perfume. He also said that Rasulullah would not refuse a gift of perfume. This is in Sahih Bukhari Tirmidhi. And Shaykh al-Bani Rahmatullah states Sahih in Sahih Sunan al-Tirmidhi number 2240. So this is a famous report. But the relevant part here is one of the Tabi'een said that Anas never refused perfume. Ever. Why? Because he goes, the Prophet never refused perfume. So this is a sunnah. So now, if a person has allergy, that's the only exception. But even the person with allergy, he should grieve. That's what the scholars say. Because it's a sunnah. So they will say respectfully, please brother, I'd love to have the atar. But I start sneezing. But he's not happy over it. He's thinking, Ya Allah, this is because I don't want to cause disturbance. But some people, they don't have that intention. They just say, brother, I don't have atar. And he goes, why? Not my cup of tea. So is that sunnah? Right? Anas, when the Prophet never refused, because I never refused. And this doesn't mean you give it as a gift. It also means when somebody just wants to dab, put a dab of atar on you. Okay, fine. Some people, they ask for a little bit. And he goes, look, just give me a little bit, brother. May Allah bless you. Clarifying further. Abdullah ibn Umar our beloved messenger said three things are not to be refused a pillow milk and perfume this is recorded in Tirmidhi and Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullahi states Hassan in Sahih Sunan al-Tirmidhi number 2241 so now this is a command three things are not to be refused a pillow so a person was a pillow in the good old days, you'd sit on the floor and then there would be pillows. There wouldn't be chairs or settees. You would take the pillow and you wouldn't refuse it. The Prophet ﷺ mentioned that whoever gives a pillow to his brother to honor him, his previous sins are forgiven. So why would you refuse a pillow? Milk. If milk is offered, the Prophet goes, don't refuse it. So we don't start using logic. You know, the Prophet said, it. okay, we won't refuse milk. And perfume, he mentioned it again, said Allah. Thabit himself said, Rahmatullah, we were once present before Anas, when he said to us, I take an oath by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you are all more beloved to me than even my own children, except for those who are equal to you in knowledge. This is recorded by Qadi Athar Mubarak Puri in his Khairul Qurun. So he would love his students. He goes, I swear that I love you more than my own children. I think about that. Why is that fascinating? Because it's a two-way process. Sometimes you get the students loving the sheikh and you don't see the love the sheikh gives to the students. And a person goes, no, he doesn't need to do that. Why doesn't he need to do that? Who said he doesn't need to do that? Look what Anna said. He goes, I love you more than my own children. Is that a small love? Except those who are equal to me in knowledge. Meaning, there's some of my children... They are equal to you. So I have same love for them. So look at the honor he gave to the students. So now to mention one or two things about Thabit himself. So this is very strange, but I'll mention it. Thabit rahmatullah said, I prefer to commit a sin, even if it is great, and then ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness for it until I abandon it, than to commit a small sin, for which I do not ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness until I abandon it. 
This is recorded in Ibn Sa'd in his Tabaqat, volume 1, page 145 of the English translation in the chapter on the companions of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, who settled in Basra and the Tabi'un. So what was he highlighting? Thabit al-Bunani, rahmatullahi. So if you take it literally, he goes, I've been given a choice of a huge sin or a small sin. He goes, I would prefer the huge sin. The straight away, what? He goes, but he explained. But with the condition I seek forgiveness for the huge sin until I eventually abandon it. Rather than to commit a small sin and I don't ask forgiveness until I abandon it. This blessed man was highlighting the importance of constantly seeking the forgiveness of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there's a secret here. Bakr ibn Abdullah, rahmatullah in Tafsir Khazin, he said, those of you who seek forgiveness the most, commit the least sins. And those of you who commit the most sins, seek forgiveness less. So what was Bakr ibn Abdullah saying? He was saying there is a secret to istighfar. A person goes, look, I've got too many sins, brother. I don't know what shall I do? Seek forgiveness, increase in it. So he goes, what shall I do? Shall I do it a thousand times a day? Right? And he goes, what's that going to do? He goes, that will stop you from sinning. Allah Ta'ala will not combine a major secret of forgiveness with a major sinner. That's a secret. But then he goes, haven't you noticed that those who commit many sins, they do very few istighbars. Because have you, have you all experienced You're right. So what did Thabit say? He's explaining this. He's highlighting this. This is why in Ibn Majah, Sayyid Hadith, the Prophet said, glad tidings to the one who has in his book of deeds abundant istighfar. Glad tidings to the or a tree in paradise for the one who has abundant istighfar in his book of deeds. The Prophet's congratulating that person, meaning you have to be successful. What's the condition? Abundant istighfar. Kathir. Not a little. So note again, astaghfirullah, people set it. You know, that's what I find very strange. Like volume. 100 in morning, 100 at night. Not one more. And you go, make it 200. So why should I do 200? Right? You could just keep doing it, brother. And what makes me laugh is the Prophet, he was sinless. He's asking forgiveness. If anybody's going to excuse not to ask forgiveness, it's the Prophet. And he's, he goes, I sit in a gathering, I see forgiveness 70 or 100 times. So the Lord is. So all I mentioned today was I liked upon the subsection with regards to a glimpse into the great fear and taqwa of Sayyidina Anas the beautiful hadith where he asked the Prophet where can I find you on the day of judgment and the lesson there for this is we should be reflecting seriously upon this we need the Prophet right? more than the Sahab and then I mentioned his love for his students some of the reports in this area uh, focusing upon Thabit al-Bunani are there any questions you like to ask so that the one you mentioned, that Allahumma khasib al-Islam, you see that? Yes. Can one say at the end of this salat? Good. MashaAllah. So the dua you can say anytime, Allahumma hasibni hisab and yasira. But if you put it into your salat, so some of the shayyuh say that you should say it at the in your end sitting. And the reason they prescribe that is because once you fix it, you don't forget. 
So if you just say, I'll make that dua, <laughs> shaitan will make you forget. But if you fix it, and of course you're always offering salat in your last sitting, then this way you will never forget. And those who've done that, you notice, is fixed. Allahumma hasibni hisab and nasir, beautiful dua from the Prophet. But of course you can do it anytime. Any other questions? Subhanallah <laughs> <laughs>